Well, good morning again. Um, if you are visiting here this morning, I know we've already got some folks visiting for the baby dedication. Maybe you're here and it's your first time at Connect. You know, our, uh, our mission statement, our value here is that we would connect our community to Christ. That's what we live for, to connect our community to Christ. There's quite a lot packed into that very short phrase, but it's just been a wonderful week for us here at Connect because we've seen a lot of that happening over the last week. Ultimately, our goal is that people would uh, find Jesus, would have a relationship with Jesus who loves them so much. We want to connect them to Christ. But in order to connect our community to Christ, we've chosen rather than just sit here and hope they show up, is we're going to try and be involved in the community. We're going to take Jesus to our community. And one of the ways we do that is we got to walk in the homecoming parade on Friday, and it was just wonderful. If you're a resident of Washington, you'll know that's just kind of a highlight of the calendar year because pretty much everyone is either in the parade or watching the parade. I mean, you're just one or the other. You're either throwing or catching candy. It's just a great day, and uh, we loved having a float in the parade, walking with our t-shirts, smiling, waving, and, and just, again, taking Jesus, taking Connect into the community to show people the love of Jesus. And then um, earlier this week on Wednesday night, we kicked off our, um, we have a small group uh, gathering on Wednesday nights in the fall, just an eight-week time together, and it's to kind of kickstart our small groups with the hope that people will then continue on staying connected. And uh, hundreds of people came out on Wednesday night, so much so that we couldn't fit everyone in this building, the men. We had a men's group that had to meet down in the CrossFit gym, which was brilliant because, you know, that's where the men need to meet down in the CrossFit gym. So they were just sat there, you know, curling while they were watching their uh, Bible study video, but uh, it was just brilliant seeing people all around the building, connecting with one another, learning more about Jesus. So it's just been uh, a real fun week, and then to cap it all off this morning, just to be able to pray with these beautiful families and celebrate God's gift in their lives and their lovely children, and just to know that God is continuing to build this legacy and to do great things here within this church. So um, I hope you feel connected here this morning. I hope you feel a part of our community, and I hope you enjoy this uh, message this morning. We're actually talking about the subject of hurry. And isn't it crazy how much hurry factors into our lives? If we're all honest, every one of us, um, this is something that, that we struggle with. We're too busy. There's too much going on. We, we hurry. And because I've been teaching about this uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking about how this applies in my life, and, and I found myself, as I'm working on the messages, as I'm living my life, thinking about the busyness of life, the pace at which we live, and a rather funny thing happens to me. I was uh, out driving just last week, and in my subdivision, there's, um, well, in England, we call them a zebra crossing, okay? I know here you call it a zebra, okay? We say zebra because it's spelt with a Z. So that makes sense. Um, so, but uh, in England, we call them a zebra crossing. I think you guys just call them crossings. They're, they're the black and white ones. We have them all over England. They're very famous. You may recognize this particular zebra crossing. There's four young men there uh, crossing one in London. Well, well, these crossings are all over England. You see them everywhere you go. And it's how pedestrians get from one side of the road to the other. So um, the law in England, is that the moment a pedestrian steps foot onto that crossing, any cars have to come to a stop and allow the person to cross. I mean, everyone knows that. You grow up knowing that, that that's the law. So if you're a driver, you know you have to stop. If you're a pedestrian, you know the car is going to stop. 
well, I've lived here for years now, and I'm still not sure what the law is here, <laughs> both from a pedestrian point of view and a driver point of view. There have been times I've stepped on and stepped right back off again <laughs> because it's clear this car isn't stopping. There's been times where I've slowed down. I'm not sure if I should be stopping or not. And this particular morning, this particular morning, I was driving. There was no one really out and about. As I was coming down the road, I was coming up to one of these crossings. And it was actually, we have a bike trail here in Washington. And it was the trail was going from one side to the other. And it crossed right here on this road. And there was a guy I could see. He was walking the trail. It was his early morning walk. And I could see him through the fence of this person's backyard. And as I'm approaching it, I realized we were going to both get to the crossing at pretty much the same time. So I had a choice to make. If I sped up right now, I could beat him, but I, I'm probably going to get there right. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to slow down and stop. So I slowed down and came to a stop. But I came to a stop before he reached the crossing. So I saw him look at me, realize that I was stopping for him, and he kind of picked up into a little jog, <laughs> and he ran across the crossing, and I felt bad then, because this guy wasn't out for a run, he was out for a walk, but because of how much we're hurrying, I felt like he was like, man, I can't keep this guy waiting too long, so he kind of jogged across in front of me, and I wanted to say, no, buddy, it's okay. I'm thinking a lot about hurry right now, and, and I'm happy to sit and wait in some silence and solitude while you walk across in front of me. But that's not the world we live in, is it? Have you ever gone up to a, uh, a door and you open it, and as you go through, you glance over your shoulder, and there's someone coming, and they're just close enough where they're not really close, but they're close enough that you should probably hold the door open for them, so you do, and then they kind of speed up to a trot. It's like you've inconvenienced them because now they feel pressured to have to run. I told my daughter that story this week, and she goes, oh, yeah, the easiest thing is just don't hold the door. Just pull it shut behind you really quick. I was like, no, that's not the answer. But it's true. And I, do you know, I actually told my uh, zebra crossing, my, my crossing uh, story to one of our staff members this week, and he goes, I know what you mean. The same thing happened to me, but in reverse. I was at the pumpkin festival a couple of weeks ago, and this couple were crossing, so I stopped to let them cross. And they were a young couple, and they were walking so slow. And I'm like, come on, you're young, hurry up. Because we got caught up in this, you know, we, we've got to hurry, we've got to move fast. And, and it's because I think we're all inflicted with this disease that I introduced on week one. And it's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. We identified this sickness from a book that I read a while back, and we're kind of basing this series on. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's written by a pastor, an author by the name of John Mark Comer, and he just brings this challenge to say, you know, as followers of Jesus, how have we allowed hurry and the business of our lives to impact our relationship with God? One of the key quotes in the book is from a very famous Christian pastor and author, pastor and author um, by the name of Dallas Willard. And the quote goes like this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you can probably think of some things that you would see as an enemy of your Christian life or as the church, but I wonder if you've ever thought of as hurry as being one of those enemies. But the reality is, if we think about it, hurry isn't just bad for our health or our relationships with one another. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, a life consumed with hurry can actually be detrimental, I believe, to your spiritual health. 
there was a very famous Christian lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. And a quote she said once was, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that, isn't there? There's truth in the idea that both sin and busyness can have the exact same effect in your life. They can cut off your connection to God, to other people, even to your own soul. So before you get too disillusioned this morning and despondent, let me, let me bring a little bit of encouragement because I know all of us could probably say, yeah, I, I struggle with hurry sickness. Listen to what Comer says in his book. He says, there is a healthy kind of busyness. So busyness in and of itself isn't a bad thing. There is a healthy kind of business where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. Now, if you were here um, a couple of weeks ago, you'd have heard me start this series. And, and when I talked about it, I was very honest and transparent and said, listen, I'm not standing here on the stage preaching this as something I've figured out. Man, I'm sat right there with you. As I've been reading this book, as I've been preparing these messages, so much of the content has been challenging me personally. I want my life to be full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. I found myself looking for ways to slow down, to be more present as I prepared these messages. Last week, Whitney, one of our teaching pastors, she spoke and she talked about the importance of seeking out times of silence and solitude, which can be so hard in our busy, hurried lives, but they are so beneficial when we make them happen because those times of silence and solitude help us to reconnect with Father God who loves us so much, help us to recenter our lives, to reprioritize our values. Last weekend, I was at a camp, when he was speaking, I was at a camp, I was out of town, uh, speaking to some students from ISU, about 200 students, college students on their fall retreat. The camp was held um, at Little Galilee Christian Campgrounds. So some of you may have heard of that. It's about half an hour south of Bloomington on the way to Decatur, kind of between the two. And uh, the couple who run the campus ministry, they invited me to come and speak that whole weekend. So I had directions to the campgrounds, and I knew that we were meeting in the auditorium, but I wasn't 100% sure where the auditorium was on the campground. So I arrived and I pulled into the campgrounds and I, I kind of pulled up to the first building I saw and there was a sign at the top of the building that said, peace. So I got out of my car and I walked towards it and I could see um, girls kind of walking in with sleeping bags and pillows and I realized this was a, a sleeping cabin, this wasn't the auditorium. So I walked across to the next cabin, that was called Patience. And when I got there, I saw some guys carrying their sleeping stuff in and I realized, okay, this is the, the guys' sleeping quarters, this isn't where I'm meant to be. But there was a bigger building further down the path, so I got back in my car and I drove down there and as I pulled up, that one was called self-control. And when I went in, it was the dining room. And I thought that was a pretty apt name for the dining room, self-control. Um, but I knew this wasn't the auditorium either. So I had to call the guy, text him, and say, hey, which fruit of the Spirit am I aiming for here? Because I'm, I'm finding them all, but I can't find you. So he directed me down to the auditorium. It was at kind of the back end of the campgrounds, and I got there and I parked I went in and I got settled, and uh, before the service started, I just pulled my phone out to check it, and I discovered, to my horror, 
No cell service whatsoever. Yeah, horrifying. So I quickly clicked my uh, settings to jump on the Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. I'm in a place with no connection to the outside world for four hours on Friday night. No connection whatsoever. We left. We came back on Saturday. The whole day, no connection with the outside world. All of Sunday morning. There were times during the weekend where instinctively I put my hand in my pocket in a downtime only to pull out my phone to get that dopamine fix that we get every time we pull it out of our pocket, only to realize there was nothing it could do for me. Other than the calculator, this thing was useless. I couldn't connect to anything. But I started to realize, wow, this is actually pretty special. it, It made me aware of how often I jump to my phone in a low time or in a time of boredom. In my hurried, busy life, when there is a time, like Whitney spoke about last week, for silence and solitude, how quickly I go to fill that with more stuff, more busyness on my phone. I loved what Whitney said last week. She said that um, the introduction of cell phones and easy access to technology like this, what it's done is it's, it's created this environment where we've lost those moments of boredom. We've lost opportunities. Those moments we lost used to be opportunities for prayer, to connect with God, to realize how close God was to us, to be aware of the fact that he's all around us, to tune our souls into him, to grow closer to him. But too quickly, we turn to this. So, it was a, so, so for me personally, I've been thinking about this a lot, Over the last couple of weeks, I've been praying, and I I hope during this series, I hope if today's the only day you're here during this series, that today what we speak about, God would use to, to speak to you, to challenge you in your life. Maybe you've got some symptoms of hurry, sickness, and you'll leave today saying, yeah, there are some things that I could change for the sake of my my health, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my relationship with God. Do you know, Jesus once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, some of you may be familiar with that verse, and I wonder if you've ever thought about it this way, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Most Sundays, myself or someone else would be stood on this platform speaking about the truth, what Jesus himself taught, what the Bible teaches. We talk a lot about the truth. But I wonder how many of us, as followers of Jesus, following not just what he taught, but following the way he lived his life, I wonder how many of us have looked to Jesus and the way and the life and and thought to ourselves, I want my life to be more like the life that Jesus led. I want to go the way that Jesus went. Because I can't think of somebody who lived a more Um, time-challenged life than Jesus. I mean, you think about it. People everywhere want to see him, crowds coming to see him, thousands listening as he taught and preached. And yet, last week we found out when Whitney spoke that he intentionally found time to get alone to be with God, his Father. He found time for silence and solitude. So if Jesus, as busy and hurried as his life was, was intentional, then how much more should we? How much more should we be intentional at trying to find that silence and solitude, modeling our lives after the life of Jesus? 
And today, we're going to discover that he also taught and modeled. So the way and the truth, the truth, Jesus taught this, but his way in his life, he also modeled a great discipline to combat the hurry in his life. And that was this, simplicity. Simplicity. That's what we're going to speak about this morning. What does it look like to to follow after Jesus and the simplicity, the example of simplicity that he set? Because Jesus taught on this. This isn't some of the more fun things that Jesus said. Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Matthew 6, 25 and 33. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Seek first God's kingdom. There's a theme developing here in these verses. And I could read countless other verses where that theme is is there in Jesus' teaching. He's saying, beware Guard against greed. Guard against how much stuff you own. Be willing to give. Be willing to focus more on God's kingdom than this kingdom. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I I, I struggle a bit. Because it kind of goes against the world in which we live in today. It's a tough verse to read. These are tough teachings to to listen to, let alone to follow. And if, like me, you, you struggle when you read this, It's probably because like most people who live in the industrialized Western world today, the gospel of Jesus just seems to be the opposite of what we've become more accustomed to, what I'm going to call this morning the gospel of America. And it's not just America. It's it's much of the world. But, But here's what I mean by the gospel of America. This gospel makes the exact opposite claim. In a nutshell, the gospel of America says the more you have the happier you will be. The more you have, the happier you will be. Now, I'm not saying that um, you've, you've bought into that. I'm just saying that if we're honest with ourselves this morning, that is the world in which we live. That's the message that's communicated very loudly and clearly in this, clearly in this world in which we live. In his book, The Author Coma, he spends many pages outlining how much our world has changed just in the last hundred years. How we've moved from a society of needs to a society of desires how we've become consumers. And there's so much in his book I'd love to unpack, but it's too much for this message this morning. But let me just summarize it with this one thought that he introduces in this book. And it's that that in this day and age in which we live, companies now, corporations, they want us to buy their products. They want us to buy more stuff. And in order to do that, they pay huge amounts of money to advertising companies to sell us that stuff. And I think we all know this to be true this morning, but basically these advertising companies, they have two jobs. The first is to let us know that we're not happy. What you've got right now isn't cutting it. That model you've got, last year's model, this particular version, yeah, that's, that's not good enough anymore. But let me tell you what is good enough. Let me tell you what the next big thing is. This will make you happy. If you'll buy the next big thing, the next version, the, the brighter, shinier, this will make you happy. And to any of us here this morning who have ever bought a Lincoln only to discover that we didn't get the same chiseled abs and sexy voice of Matthew McConaughey, will know it's a lie. (laughs) What they're selling isn't really 
transforming our lives, making us happy the way they proclaim it will. But even though we know it, even though we know that this morning, we still fall into that trap, don't we? And what if Jesus wants to set us free from that by helping us pursue a life of more simplicity? Less stuff, less consumerism, less, less building big, building better, and simply simplify. What if that was the gospel of Jesus and we followed that instead of the gospel of America? Now, some of you this morning may be thinking, okay, well, I get that, I understand that, I can see how that was what Jesus taught, but what's this got to do with hurry? What does this have to do with the time in my schedule? You're talking about money and buying stuff, but this series was on hurry. Well, have you ever thought about this? Every single thing you buy costs you not only money, but also time. Every single thing you buy costs you not only money, but also time. About 15, 20 years ago, my wife and I, we lived up in the suburbs of Chicago, a, uh, a little place up there called Lake Zurich. And we happened to actually live in a house that had access to the lake. There's a beautiful lake in Lake Zurich, this big lake. And uh, there was a guy in our church, he was selling his boat. It was a speedboat. And uh, he was selling his boat because he wanted to buy a bigger boat. So uh, he was selling his smaller boat. And we'd never had a boat. Our kids were, uh, actually my youngest wasn't even born at the time. And my, my sons were real super young. So we thought, man, it'd be fun having a boat. And it was a fast boat. It was a speedboat. I'm going to confess here that I'm not the kind of guy that likes sitting in a small boat, a slow boat and fishing. I'm a fast boat and water skiing, like tubing kind of boat person. So, so we, we had some money. We could afford this boat. So we purchased this boat. Now, the truth is that even though we could afford to buy that boat, that wasn't the only cost of boat ownership. We now had to pay for insurance, for a boat slip, to winterize it, and then to summarize it or make it good for the summer, whatever that's called again. There was time spent in getting that boat in and out of the water, getting it serviced, cleaned, maintained. So it cost more to us as a family than the actual price of the boat itself. Now, don't get me wrong, if you're sat here this morning with a boat, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a boat, okay? Or a motorcycle or a vacation home or whatever it is that you've purchased. It's not wrong having it. Just understand that when you do purchase these things, there is more of a cost than just the item itself. There is a cost in time. Sometimes it takes more time to work harder to pay the extra needed for some of these things. It'll cost you time and less time means more hurry. When you have less time in your schedule because you've added more stuff to it, now you have to hurry to get the stuff that needs to be done. And what if the stuff that needs to be done is quality time with your family, time alone with Jesus? As you add more stuff that takes more time, something has to give. Now for us as a family, we weighed this up. We looked at the purchase of this boat and the extra cost of having it, but we thought, you know what? There'll be some fun times we'll have as a family together out on that lake. And we did. We had some great times. Our kids were super young. So we just, I think Will was in a car seat and Ben was just like his little two-year-old with his uh, life jacket on. And we'd go around this lake and it was beautiful. Then we moved to Peoria and we weren't on a beautiful lake anymore. We had to go to the Illinois River. <laughs> it's a different feel than Lake Zurich. <laughs> And by the time we got here, our kids were a bit older. And I remember the very first time we took them out on this boat in the Illinois River, and they understood how fearful it is being on a very fast boat surrounded by water. And they screamed the whole way there and the whole way back. So we realized, you know what? This boat is no longer <laughs> beneficial to us as a family. The negatives are now outweighing the positives. We sold the boat. 
And the guy who told me when he sold me the boat, he says, there'll be two best days in a boat owner's life. It's the day you buy it and the day you sell it. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> but for us, we weighed it up and we, we saw the value in it at the time. And then we saw the time when it was time to, to sell it. But all I'm saying using my boat illustration here this morning is when you are looking to purchase something, let's, let's be fully aware of how much this will really cost. You might be able to afford something, but what about all the extra time that it will take? Because as you add more stuff in your life, you then have to make a decision at some point, how much stuff am I okay with? Because the sad thing is, whether you're into boats, sneakers, designer purses, most of us simply have too much stuff to enjoy life at a healthy, unhurried place. And if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, that stuff can even get between you and your relationship with God. Jesus talked about this in a very dramatic story he told in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. He would often tell these stories, as uh, they're, they're called parables, an illustration to a, a spiritual point. So it was a made-up story, but it had a profound point he was making. Listen to what he said in Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care. This is the point of the story. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Because life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. So that's the summary. That's what Jesus wants the, the audience to understand. Take care against even the least bit of greed because life is not defined by what you have. And he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and I'll have the time of my life. But just then God showed up and said, you fool, tonight you die and your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not God. And again, Jesus isn't saying here that it's wrong to have money or goods or barns full of crops. He's just saying don't. Be careful where your focus is. Don't, don't build all your focus, all your energy into this stuff that one day will be gone. Focus on God. Don't, don't focus on this at the expense of the kingdom of God, at the expense of your relationship with God. In fact, Comer in his book suggests that one of the most spiritual acts we can partake in is to look for ways to simplify our lives when it comes to the stuff. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but when I think of spiritual acts, I think of worship like we did this morning. I think of prayer. I think of Bible reading. I don't think of, of simplifying things in my life as a spiritual discipline. But if you think about it, it really makes sense. Because if an excess of stuff is interrupting our relationship with God, imagine how just limiting some of that stuff can enhance our connection with a God who loves us so much. Here's a quote from the book. He says, simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters the most. Our relationship with God, our relationships with our family. 
So what I want to do this morning is if, if any of you here are feeling a little nudge from the Holy Spirit, feeling like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do need to simplify a little bit in my life. Maybe things have got a bit out of control in this area. Then I want to give four practical ways that maybe you can make a course correction here this morning. You may relate to one of these this morning. You may relate to a couple. You may relate to all four. But my hope and prayer is that at least one of them will challenge you to think a little bit differently in this area of your life. Maybe to make a, a small change. You haven't got to go and make a complete U-turn this week, but wouldn't it be great if we just made a start? If we just started to think about this more and said, okay, God, now that I'm aware of the importance of, of simplifying as a spiritual discipline, what are some areas in my life that I could simplify that would make me a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better spouse? a better employee, a better follower of Jesus? What are some ways that I could do some of this to enhance my relationship with you and others? Here are four extremely practical ideas, and I hope that at least one of them resonates with you this morning. Number one, never impulse buy. Never impulse buy. Some of you are like, well, already he's got me. <laughs> That's me. My kids get so frustrated about this. Because when we're in a store and they're like, oh, dad, I've got to have this. We're like, okay, well, you know our rule as a family. We're going to go home. We're going to think about it. Uh, we may look and see, you know, because before you walked into this store, you didn't need this. But as soon as you saw it, you needed it, you know. So, so let's take some time because maybe tomorrow you won't need it anymore. So let's not impulse buy. Let's think about it. Let's take some time. And then if it's something you still want, you've got the money to buy it, we'll go back and, and we'll buy it. Let's try not to impulse buy. I, I shared this in first service and I came up to, somebody came up to me in second service and said, or between the services and said, but you don't understand, at TJ Maxx, sometimes when you go back, it's gone. You have to buy it. So I get it, I get it. It's not, an, it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but man, if we would at least try and commit to not impulse buying. Take some time to talk to our spouse about it, to pray about it. The bigger the expense, the more time you spend talking and praying. Weigh it up. Ask yourself, what's the true cost of this item? I can afford this, but, but how much will it actually cost in time and maintenance and repairs and insurance and finance? What's, what's the true cost of this? Will this add value to my life and help me enjoy God and his world and my loved ones even more? Or just distract me from what really matters? Again, please don't leave this morning thinking, oh, that, that guy, all he's preached about was that I can't have any stuff in my life. God's given us a beautiful world to live in. He wants us to enjoy it and to enjoy one another. But not at the expense of our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. So maybe just the one thing you'll try from today on is to, to just not be an impulse buyer, to, to pause a little longer, to, to think, to talk, to pray before buying those things. Maybe the answer is, number two, to declutter. To declutter. How about if we set ourselves a goal to hold off and get any more stuff till we get rid of some of the excess stuff that we already have? Some of you might remember a lady by the name of Marie Kondo. She had shows on Netflix called Tidying Up and Sparking Joy. And it introduced us this idea of minimalism, that she would walk around her house and if an object didn't spark joy, she said, I don't need it. I'm going to get rid of it. And we watched these shows on Netflix and we think, man, I could never do that. But she was decluttering. She was getting rid of stuff in her life. Maybe you need to have a garage sale. 
Maybe you need to accept that despite your belief and your hope that you will use that thing again one day, the fact that you've not used it for the last three years is probably not going to get used again. It's time to sell it. It's time to get on Facebook Marketplace and list that thing. Now, I know that's hard. I know people ask you crazy questions on Facebook Marketplace. I know they make ridiculous offers. You get people who say, hey, I see you got a washing machine for sale for $25. Would you bring that to my house and install it? If so, I'd, I'd like to buy it. No, of course I won't. I just want it out of my house. That's why it's $25. It's not easy sometimes selling things on Facebook Marketplace. I mean, look at Paul Lorette Grace here. I came across this recently. Lorette Grace somehow managed to send herself a message I'd like to buy your chairs if you still have them. That was in December of 2014. A month later, Lorette managed to answer herself and say, I don't have any chairs for sale, and I never did. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is going to be some of us here soon. That's why our kids need to help us when it comes to, to Facebook and digital media. <laughs> so maybe, rather than try and list things for sale, number three, donate. Maybe the way we could declutter is by giving some stuff away. Jesus said it's, blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So who can you bless this week? I mean, you could get some money for selling this item, but imagine how awesome it would be just to give it to someone because you've not been using it for a while and they would be able to use it. So I'm gonna give you this because I think you guys would get much more uh, fun, joy, satisfaction out of this than we do. You know, this final one, and again, this sounds super practical, but when I explain it, you're going to see the importance of it in your life. Number four, budget. Budget. Maybe some of you are living here paycheck to paycheck. You've never really sat down and looked at your, your income and tried to strategize, how am I going to spend my money? Because that helps you determine whether or not you can afford to buy more stuff or not. Whitney was talking about silence and solitude last week, and I loved one of the things she said. She reminded us that no is a complete sentence. That when it comes to our, our schedule, the business in our lives, no is a complete sentence. When you look at your schedule and you realize you are swamped, you are super busy, and someone asks you to do something else for the sake of your family, for your time, it's okay to say no when your schedule is full. A budget is a schedule for your bank account. That's all it is. A budget is a schedule that you set up for your bank account. So you have a predetermined idea of how much is coming in, how much I can spend. And what that means is you can say no. When you look at that, that new thing you want to buy and you look at the budget, you might say, no, I can't afford that right now. Having a budget will help make sure that your treasure is going to the right place and not getting squandered. So I know there's super practical things and there are other ideas as well I'm sure we could come up with, but if it's just not impulse buying, if it's decluttering or donating, if it's coming up with a budget and trying to manage more how much stuff we buy, I hope one of these things challenges you in some way to simplify your life. And here's why. I'm gonna close with this last story. A few years ago, I was at a conference, and uh, while we were there, we got to go, just a group of pastors, there was about 20 or 30 of us, to a lunch at this restaurant, and uh, it was put on by an organization called Compassion International. They're a great organization that helped children in poverty around the world. Connect Church has done a lot with Compassion over the years. But the CEO at the time, he'd been their CEO for many years, was a man by the name of Wes Stafford, and he was actually the guest speaker at that lunch. 
So he talked about the works of compassion, what they do around the world. He talked about his own personal passion to impact the lives of children who live in extreme poverty. This is a book he wrote, uh, Too Small to Ignore, Why the Least of These Matters Most. And just in that short half an hour talk, it became so clear that this guy was passionate about rescuing kids in extreme poverty, making a difference in the life of children who were born in some of the, the poorest places in the world. And at the end of his talk, with us group of pastors there, he asked us a question. He said, I've got a question for all of you here today. What would you say is the opposite of poverty? That was the question he asked us. What would you say is the opposite of poverty? So some of us answered. We said wealth, riches, uh, lots of money. (laughs) He says, I'm going to throw out my definition. He said, because in my line of work as the CEO of this organization, I've actually been in some of the most impoverished places in the world. Children who don't have clean, access to clean water, good foods, children who are dying from treatable diseases. I've seen some extreme poverty. And it breaks my heart because in those situations, I realize that they don't have enough. That the opposite of poverty for them is enough. They don't have enough water, enough food, enough access to medical supplies. He said, but I've also been at fundraising luncheons and and I've sat in the room with some very wealthy people. People who are incredibly wealthy. And as I've got to talk to them and got to know them, what I've started to discover is that very often some of these very wealthy people, they also don't have enough. They're always looking for the next purchase, the next big thing. He said, I would suggest that the opposite of poverty is enough. And it affects rich and poor. And maybe this morning, that's, that's what you'll do. As we leave this service, you'll, you'll pray that prayer and say, God, how much is enough? How much is enough for me? Because I don't want to fall for the gospel of miracle where I'm always wanting more and more and more, believing that somehow that will make me happy. God, I want to find my happiness in you. I want to find contentment. I want to know what's enough. So that as my life is simplified, I can, I can give more, I can do more, I can have a better relationship with you, a better relationship with those who I love. Help me, God, to figure out what's enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a fantastic morning to be able to join with families and celebrate their uh, beautiful baby boys and girls, Lord, and just a great reason to gather together. And Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, much of what we've heard this morning is challenging because it's normal. We live in a a day and age in a society where it's normal to want more, where it's normal to want the newest version of the product, where it's normal to do this. But, But Jesus, what if normal isn't best? What if swimming upstream, what if going against the flow, what if choosing to follow the gospel of Jesus instead of the gospel of America is actually the best way to experience a closeness with you that we can't experience otherwise? Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in the trappings that just add to the hurry and the busyness of our lives because it always comes at the expense of something. And Lord, we don't want to miss out on quality time with loved ones. We don't want to miss out on uh, quality time with you alone in silence and solitude. So help us, Lord, to look at our lives and be honest and open with ourselves for ways in which we can simplify. And then, Lord, give us the courage to make some of those changes, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.